Welcome into episode 53 of the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22 at ByCASimmons and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. On NightSportsNow.com this week or uh, in the recent days, you'll find uh, what I wrote off of the Gasparilla Bowl from last week, basically just about UCF's defense and about how the, the best is yet to come for UCF as a whole, as Gus said, but I think it especially applies to the defense. So if you haven't read that already, please go read it. And That'd you nice. won't find what I've written off the ball because I haven't written it yet. We'll get there. You've got, will. what, you've got nine months to write something off the well, ball again. Well, let me tell you what honestly happened. Yeah, that's right. It'll be like a year when we started Night Sports now way back in the day with our dear friend Evan Abramson and a few others, but we're going to talk about Evan. He Well, it was a column off the FIU game. He said, hey, I'm going to write a column off the FIU game. Didn't write it, which, you know, happens never, in life. Never but he it. kept continuously, like, for the next six months being like, oh, I'm still working on the column. And, not, like, not joking. <laughs> like, the season was over. And he was like, let me put the finishing touches on this column. <laughs> so that was – we never did get that column. So, but nope. we, uh, you know. It's out there somewhere. In Evan's brain. But, uh, yeah, no, the honest reason I've heard anything yet is because I, like, did start – I started to outline what I was going to write. And I felt that I was being too optimistic. And I decided that I wanted to get, and since Bailey had his up already, I decided I wanted to get a little farther away from the bowl game so I can get back to my natural pessimism because I felt like I was over getting, I was getting overhyped for next season. Un- unfamiliar territory, you being overly optimistic. So, dude, that's why I freaked out and stopped. Like, I, <laughs> I haven't felt that way often. It's like I a right. shock to your body and your brain. Well, there are a lot of reasons to be excited about next season. Evidently, Tatum Bethune is not one of them, but I just really feel like I just had to throw them there out of, off the, out of, at the start. But I, like, I don't know. I just feel like there's, so much uncertainty i feel really dumb about being like yes i think next year should be a really good year well i mean my my put my article already is going to age poorly with that that tatum buffoon stuff yeah should we just and, say what that is since we're not yeah, talking I guess about so. it i guess i uh, guess the, you you can break it down i don't even know where it came from but it came it from like... 247 fsu uh okay. their effort the, and it's been in other places since but 247's fsu writer confirms a fan theory that Tatum Bethune apparently is expected to enter the portal at UCF and FSU may be his ideal destination. So that's unfortunate. Um, I don't like, you know, I, this isn't like a Dylan Gabriel situation. So I hope fans aren't like nasty. Like this is college football. You sort of go where you want now. I do think without knowing the, um, obviously we don't know like the reasoning. We don't know why Tatum and, and this might not happen. Who knows? Except it probably will. (laughs) <laughs> we, we don't know why he's decided to do that, but I do think that this is like the next hurdle to overcome for UCF. And I'm just sort of theorizing here. Cause like I said, we don't know why he decided this, but like UCF should hopefully soon be past the point where like a player can do really well at UCF and then be drawn to something like FSU, which is a really powerful brand, but is just simply not as good as UCF and hasn't been for more than five years now. So that's yeah. really the next evolution. And I think being in the big 12 will help that. But like you said, I, and, and I think it's just time will help that. I mean, FSU, like how much longer is FSU going to legitimately be relevant? They have it there. They last won a national championship eight years ago. Now it'll be nine years next season. They, they literally have not been better than a seven win team in five years now, which is crazy to think about. So now mm-hmm. you've got a generation of recruits coming up who don't even like, they were very young when FSU the was in cool school. They were like, they were, they were relevant on like on early signing day, just for the wrong reasons. And they brought in a good oh, class, boy. but like they brought in a good class, but the, the focus was them losing the number one recruit. To- you know, I actually want to, I'm going to defend FSU really quickly. I, cause obviously we talked about Twitter spaces took off that day with fire Mike Norvell. 
Um, but like I, FSU signed what? I think their class is 15th in the nation. Yeah, right I say it's top 15. I'm yeah, like sure. I, people freak the hell out. And I'm like, you know, for a team that literally has not been good for half a decade, top 15 class is pretty sweet, especially in the ACC where everyone is bad. So I, I don't, uh, FSU took some flack there, but like, you know, it happens. But yeah, so UCF apparently possibly losing Tatum Mathune. That is so unfortunate, but I just, that's the era we're in. And, and I, I, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but UCF did offer a Maryland linebacker transfer who is a former four-star and had a very good first season for Maryland. So they, assuming they get him, they, they may fill that void really quick. So. Yeah, that would be nice. And what I was saying was that basically my article has, has aged a little poorly because if he's gone, you know, he was focused like, Oh, he's one of the, the core guys coming back. I also like just based off of oversight because we didn't see any of these guys this year, this year, I missed out on listing like a bunch of guys coming back next year that like were injured before the season or like, Jarvis Ware, I think yeah, Jarvis really Ware was going to be like the starting corner this year. So yeah, there were some guys that I missed out on that. But anyway, go read it, please. Um, it was a really good article. It was it was really you. well done. I I I read it um, twice. Um, once when I edited it, once when I posted it. By the way, my edits. I think I added a comma okay. in one spot. So really, uh, nice job keeping those edits down, Bailey. Thanks. This so, is the first I've heard of this. Yeah, um, that comma I threw in there. Really, uh, doing but, doing doing my job so. yeah i want to go back to what you said because this is kind of a good segue even though this isn't even really a good segue anymore because i'm pointing out it's a good segue but you talked totally, about you, you, t- get... you totally every time we have a segue you kill it on this podcast by announcing <laughs> what a great segue it is yeah it's great time. um you talked about how you want to get like further removed from the the bowl game before you write something and that's kind of like what we're going to dive into now is the fact that we're like a week removed now from ucs went over florida and we recorded our post-game thoughts what was probably two hours after the the end of the game uh, last Thursday. Um, so we're kind of just going to wrap things up here and, and stuff we've seen in the, in the aftermath and what we've, what we thought in the week since, I know you've rewatched the game. I rewatched like the first half. still have the second half to finish at some point, but basically just reflecting on the game seven days later. And I don't think the hype has really died down yet. Yeah. I mean, uh, around the time that UCF got a commitment from a 2023 four-star 36 hours after the win. And then he, in, in his interview with Jason Didi of the Orlando Sentinel directly referenced the win as why he decided to commit. That was when I realized like we actually might've been playing down how big of a win it was, which is saying something. I, I, first off, I just have to say on, from a national perspective, I'm thrilled that UCF has been a part of this lovely, just sec horrible bowl season and that they've done their part. I just want to point out new big 12 Houston took down Auburn UCF took down Florida. Texas Tech took down Mississippi State like badly. Like that, I knew Big Twelve. We don't need to talk about. Elite. We don't need to talk about BYU. That's what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. BYU has an. Who's uh, Peter Parker? Their bowl game got. <laughs> Shout out to our no way home listeners. Um, yeah, I, BYU. Uh, their bowl game got canceled. I'm pretty sure. I don't think anything happened there. Either way, <laughs> uh, uh, BYU's bowl game that might have gotten canceled. I can't remember off the top of my head what the final score was. Was the most viewed bowl bowl so far this season, and number two was UCF. So the Big Twelve is. Beating teams, looking great, and well, not BYU, but the rest of them are beating teams and looking great and getting a ton of views. So I literally, this has been like this year, the way it played out so far when we talk about the new Big 12 trying to like, it's going to be a power conference, obviously, but just sort of like maintaining that they're going to be a good league. Like everything's broken the right way. Texas being horrible, Oklahoma not even making the conference title game, all of the new teams. I tweeted this yesterday. UCF is no way, no way around it. UCF had the worst season of the four expansion teams. And that worst season was nine wins despite a ton of injuries, a bowl win over Florida, being the best team in their state. I, I, it's just like it, 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 the new Big 12 is going to be freaking great. So that's been one of my takeaways from this bowl. The other one is that Florida fans are like, I, I just, I don't even know. Like they're, they're like, I think they are taking it. I think they're more like 
I don't even know how to phrase this. Like, the, okay, off the rails. I know how to phrase it. Florida fans have moved almost entirely to academics in their Twitter arguments, and that's how you know it's gotten <laughs> bad. That's how you know. Yeah. So uh, it's just it's just great. You know, it's it's been also kind of funny. Florida fans have not taken this loss well, even though they don't really care about it. If if you ask them. But I've seen a lot of Miami fans not taking this. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Miami fans are as upset as Florida fans. Which is hilarious because it makes no sense. Well, that's really the power of UCF going to the Big 12. And we saw this back when UCF was like top of the world in the 25-game industry. But the other Florida fan bases are freaking afraid of what UCF can become. There's no other explanation for how Miami fans reacted except they saw a team that was not them being declared best team in the state, even though Florida wasn't. And they're they're. Their South Florida brains just couldn't wrap around the idea that someone outside the big three could be the best team in the state, even though UCF's done that multiple times over the last decade. And they freaked yeah. out. So, I, and they're, listen, Miami I might get it turned around. They're I, they, but they, but like this thing, they just signed away Oregon's head coach. And they're like, I know what's important right now, putting UCF in their place. Like, I just, I don't get that priority list, but I think the state of Florida is going to be really good for football really soon. I think Florida and uh, Miami both got really good coaches. I still think Norvell will get it turned around at FSU. Although I do have a theory with FSU that FSU fans are not going to like. Sorry, FSU fans, if you're listening, don't know why you are, but welcome. Um, I don't think that FSU is ever going to get back to close to what they were. I don't think they have the resources. It's hard to envision it. I don't buy it. Because one thing you looked at is you've seen these teams like that had an FSU drop where it's like, we talk about this all the time with like, oh, when's this team going to be back? When are they going to be back? And we, I think we might have talked this on the podcast before. Has any team ever actually come back? Has a team? We, if we haven't talked about it on the podcast, you and I have talked about it in person, I think. But yeah, I, it's like, it's has a really good team ever done five plus years of being irrelevant and then gone back to winning national championships? Has that ever happened? I, uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find one. I find a good example. I'm sure like maybe people older than us are going to come out come at us on twitter and be like oh what about this and maybe okay i really don't care like if someone comes to me like well the 1954 yeah that's that's the only thing i can think about is like as if it's something like that that we're just nothing but at least in terms of our lifetimes absolutely not Not even like just in modern college football like 1980 to present has has a has a program done that i can't i can't think of one the closest would be like alabama but i think the most they had bad years in a row was like two so yeah. I don't know uh, all this to say, and then you add that and I don't know how much people keep with this stuff, but the ACC currently has a horrible TV deal, like really, really bad. And they're locked into it through the mid 2030s. So the ACC is like within a few years going to be the poorest power conference by a pretty decent margin. You throw all that in together. I don't see a path back for FSU. I think they'll be good. I've said this before on the podcast too. I don't think there's an excuse for any team in the state of Florida to be bad at football. None of them should be bad at football, but I, I just don't think they're going to be like a national championship team again. I mean, I feel like it's almost like that in any sport. Like there, there's so much talent in most sports that like, if you're recruiting close to home and you're, you're recruiting decently well, like you should be, you should be at least a solid team. And it's because like Florida, this is the other thing that people don't understand. Like Florida recruiting is like the sec of recruiting like that. So like the way I look at that is like people talk about, Oh, how did UCF in 2017 get so good? And part of the reason is because guys who play in the state of Florida who are rated as three stars or low level four stars, if they played in like Utah, they would probably be five stars because they'd be freaking dominating. It's like the talent's just so deep here that everyone can get what they need and then some. So that's why I don't get how you get programs like USF or FIU who are just God awful every year. I'm like, how do you not just like go out in your backyard and be like, Hey, you come play football and you should be good. I I just, I really, I don't get, I don't get how it happens. It's weird. It's definitely weird, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I think in the last week or so to just see other fan bases, It's, it's just the Miami thing is so funny to me. I don't know why my like it's it's almost like Miami has been more threatened by 
by this than, than Florida even has. But yeah, Florida's Florida fans' reactions. I mean, basically what we expected doesn't count. Like, it, it, well, here, here's why Miami felt and... that way. And let me give you an unpopular take. Sorry, UCF fans. Like UCF's never going to be as good as a program as Florida. They're just not because no matter what UCF does, they're not in the SEC. And so no matter what UCF accomplishes, Florida will always be the SEC Florida team. So they'll always have the access to that. That's just the way of the world. Um, that is not the case for Miami at all. UCF could absolutely pass Miami. I wrote an article over the summer about how UCF more or less has passed Miami. And that's been the case for about a decade now. So yeah. that's why Miami had that reaction. Because Florida fans truly believe, and they're probably correct, that they will be fine long-term. Miami fans don't necessarily feel that way. That's another thing I wanted to hit on because I, I was just what I was thinking about when I was seeing these Miami fans like trashing UCF and trying to say putting UCF in its place. Like even coming into a game against six and six Florida, I was like, uh, I don't know. Like I, I wasn't hundred percent confident. Like I have really like no hesitation in saying that I think UCF would, would have beaten Miami this year. And like, I just think most years UCF's a better team than Miami. Like I don't, I don't feel like Miami has that like, for Florida, it was just like, oh, yeah, they're 6-6, six and six, but, like, they're still Florida. Like, there's still a lot of talent on the team. Yes, obviously, Miami has talent, but I just i am not afraid of Miami. I just Miami is a brand and nothing else. They're a brand, and they're an average football team every single year. They literally – they are never good. They are never, ever good. They have had one New Year's Six season in the last, like, 10-plus years, and they got <laughs> and they got beat. Like, I, I just – I don't – almost every single year, they're like a seven-win team. It's shocking to me that people continue – and, and I, the main thing that they still have for them is they – put a lot of guys in the NFL and that's just always been the case. And I think people turn that into, Oh, well, they're just really good. And it's like, I mean, yeah, they put a lot of guys in the NFL and that's awesome. That's great for those guys. Um, they still don't win games. <laughs> they still right. just don't win games. They lose to so many teams. So I don't know what the hell Miami's future is. I think crystal ball is a really good get. I feel like that's the best they could have done, but here. All right. And now we're just way off into the weeds. So here's the thing about UCF that this is why UCF could rise up in the next era of college football, even more so than they already have Miami, Florida state, Florida, UCF what do you what, what what are like what do you pitch a player on like what what are the main things a player wants from a school they want to go to the NFL they want to play for national championship and and then and then everything else like those are the two main things mm-hmm. in the new once UCF is in the big 12 and the 12 team playoff goes through which that'll be 2024 2025 UCF can sit recruits look them in the eyes and say if you want to stay in the state of Florida we have by far the easiest path to the playoff yeah. Florida, Florida will never win the SEC again I feel pretty confident saying Ever. that. I don't, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I mean, what are they going to be? How, they're they're going to be like, what, the fifth best program in their own conference? They're never going to win the SEC again. And either way, it's not like Gus has to sit in the recruits and say their face. Just say Florida's in the SEC. It's a freaking bloodbath. You know, mm. you look at Florida State and Miami, you can go there great. Um, the only way you're ever getting in is if Clemson has a down year um, or you're never winning that conference. You, they Even can say- still, like, in a down year for Clemson, like, it, it just, yeah, it's more wide open. But, like, Florida, Florida State and Miami haven't proven – as of late that they're in the conversation to be the team that would step up instead of Clemson. Like exactly right. Yeah. And then you look at UCF and the big 12 and UCF can pitch recruits on, this is a wide open league. We, we can at the start of, and this might change as time goes on, but this is the pitch now at the start of every season, we can say that we can win that league. We can play our way right in the playoff. We are the only Florida team where you can come in and you can know each season that you have the chance to play your way into a playoff spot. And that is going to be incredibly valuable. It's not going to work on every player. I'm not trying to say that UCF's not going to be signing top 10 classes because they're not, but that is it huge recruiting advantage that UCF is legitimately going to have the easiest path to the playoff of any team in Florida. Yeah. I mean, we've, I think we've already seen a lot of the, the recruiting um, benefits and it's just getting started there. Um, UCF was, signed a four star a year before, or got a commitment from yeah. a four star a year before signing day. That, that's like, that doesn't happen for programs like this. Yeah. 
that, that's that's a, one of the big things we saw in the aftermath of the game. And kind of just want to go through a couple of things here that we've that obviously we didn't get to talk about on Thursday night because it was right after the game. Um, but one of one of the good things was there's an update on um, I'm sure you've seen it by now, but Florida wide receiver Justin Shorter, who took that nasty hit late in the game and went down, had to get Carter off the field. Um, it's actually the next day where they, his family released a statement saying that he was doing well, was clear to head home, is on his way to a full recovery. So that's a, that's definitely was definitely a sobering moment in, in Thursday night's game amid all of the excitement, but glad to hear everything's is good there Absolutely. Um, for him. And I don't think, I think this was something that got pointed out the day after we recorded, but the Ryan O'Keefe peace sign touchdown, like a tribute with, to Otis, the fact that his touchdown catch was for 54 yards and also Otis's was a 54 yard touchdown catch in 2018. Like that's, that's like an eerie kind of thing. That's kind of like wild. And I don't totally understand how that happened. Like that's just crazy to me. That's really cool, but it's sort of crazy. And maybe it's one of those things where it's like question existence, you know, like it was very, (laughs) very strange, but that was all. I I know we talked about briefly on the podcast, but that was like all time moment. That was so cool. That was so freaking cool. Um, yeah, that was all I had to say there. I don't know why I took an um yeah. like I was about to add more to my thought. Um, I don't think we also pointed out the video of Mikey Keene doing the Gator Chomp. That was amazing. Um, oh, I know what I'm going to I, I gotta say. I got to say, uh, Mikey yeah. Keene haters, and we're going to get in this in Tweet of the Week. Y'all are running out of places to hide. Mikey <laughs> Keene has a better winning percentage as a starting quarterback than Dylan Gabriel. Does that stat mean anything? Probably not, but listen, he has a better winning percentage than Dylan Gabriel as a start. I am so sick of the Mikey Keene slander on Twitter. I really am. I don't know. He had a great freshman year. 17 touchdowns to six picks. He didn't, you know, did you know that he did? He basically did not throw a touch. uh, He basically did not throw an interception in the second half of the season. Yeah. I don't remember his last. I I know it was, he was had a streak going into the Florida game and didn't throw another one. I forget when the last one came. I looked up the stats just for this podcast. I didn't put them in my freaking note with the rest of my stuff. So I'm trying to find it really quickly, but I believe off the top of my head, he had, um, I'm just not going to find it. This I'm at his game log now, so I, I'm here. Okay. Uh, his, so last, he, his last interception came against Temple, and that was the game where he threw for five touchdowns. So, yeah. So the point I want to make is look at his, you have to look at his touchdown to pick ratio through his first five starts and his last five starts. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's, it's night and day. I'm trying to now really quickly count it because I, I think it's it. seven to zero. Yeah, so it was it was nine to six. He threw nine touchdowns to six picks in his first five starts and seven touchdowns to no picks in his last five starts. Also, I still can't find the stats. I don't know what note I put them in, but I also found out that he had a better completion rate through his last five games, more passing yards through his last five games. I mean, he just he just you, it is pretty rare to see true freshmen improve that much as the season goes along. Typically, what you see towards the end of the season because it's longer than what they used to play in high school is they start to run out of steam and they fall off. But Mikey Keene just basically stopped making mistakes. He yeah. literally just stopped making well, mistakes. I like to include, I like to selectively include that Temple game in that ratio because even still, the, the one, you're adding a pick, but it's 12 touchdowns to one interception. Yeah. If you did like, like first four games versus last six, which is kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's suddenly it's just skew it. Just skew it. We're, we're, we're shouting out Mikey Keene propaganda. But it really but, is. That's his, that was the Temple game was the game where he really did break out. I mean, it was, you look at his, you look at his games before that he was two, two touchdowns to a pick, zero touchdowns to a pick, one touchdown to a pick, one touchdown or one touchdown to two picks, one touchdown to a pick. Then from there on in, he just, he was like throwing touchdowns every game and just stop throwing interceptions. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's the thing is like, I don't want, I still don't want to paint it like he's a world beater and like he guaranteed the job next year, but I think it's just gone a little far to where everyone skipped over him and said like, all right, well, he's done. Like he I, that's, that's he what's didn't, bothering me. Yeah, he people are like, like, thank you for your service, Mikey Keene. We're looking forward to Tommy Castellanos or our transfer he, next year. He didn't have like a, a very good game against Florida, really. Like, 
but that's the thing is he didn't throw he got the win first of all and didn't didn't turn the ball over played a clean game missed plenty of throws but I, I don't know how he can really fault like much of what he did especially like I know the comparisons have gone on throughout the second half of the season but like we even said like Mackenzie Milton's bowl bowl performance against Arkansas State like he was not good in that game and got booed off the field compare that or contrast that with what Keen did in his freshman bowl game and you're like all right you can see a little bit a little bit there and yeah, we'll obviously be, we'll be touching gonna, on this again in tweet of the week because I got okay, again I'm not going to say like he's going to definitely make the jump that McKenzie made or he's going to be a better player than McKenzie. I don't know like I can't he's not going to he's not going to no, be but you just can't and I'm not even but, saying that because I'm like, oh, yeah. Milton showed us something his freshman year because he really didn't. His freshman year sucked. I famously, well, not famously, because, you know, I didn't have that many Twitter followers back then. I was still new to the scene. <laughs> predicted that he would lose his job to Noah Vedral by the midway point of the season. That's what we thought of Mackenzie Bellamy going to 27. Not we. Don't we don't lump me in there. Yeah. Ba- okay, but this is a great example. You were like a big Mackenzie Milton fan after his yeah. freshman year. And that was like your thing. Like, you're like, oh, that's Bailey. He like really likes Mackenzie Milton. Like that was that unpopular of an opinion <laughs> that feel, that was your I feel, vind- I feel vindicated now though. Do you remember we uh, we made a bet for the first game of the season that you bet that he would have 250 passing yards in the game? And I was like, you're on. There's no way. And he had it at halftime. I don't remember that, but yeah, um, yeah. I feel vindicated again. He, uh, yeah. That's but the, my- the point is, all I'm saying is don't count Mikey out as a starter next year because, A, we're comparing Castellanos, uh, Castellanos. Damn it. Oh, I'm yeah. trying to remember. Was... We, we, but I'm, I'm sorry, Tommy, if you're listening. Doubt you are, but sorry. Um, Mikey Keene, you're going to have true sophomore Mikey Keene who has a full year of experience and result versus true freshman Castellanos. I still, if I had to pick, predict one now, I'd predict Castellanos because he's a better fit for Gus's system, but I would not just out of hand dismiss Mikey Keene. We don't know how much, right. what if he does take, he will take some sort of leap. And depending on how leap, big that leap is, he may force Gus's hand. The other thing to remember is people throw out a lot for Mikey Keene. Well, he's not the right fit for Gus's system. He's not the right fit. Gus still came into this roster and made him second string. Yeah. Over two quarterbacks, Joey Gaywood and Parker Navarro, who are clearly a better fit for Gus's system. And he put Mikey at second string. So I don't think it's over for Mikey at all. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think like he even said, like in the aftermath of that game is like, basically he's going to enjoy it for a little while, but he's going to get right back to work. And he wants to put on, I forget what the number was, but he wants to put on some weight so he can take more hits next year. And he's going to put in the work, you know, I mean, he's not just going to like, he's not going to be the same Mikey Keen that we just saw last week. He's not going to be that same guy when fall camp rolls around, even maybe when spring rolls around. Someone replied to me and said, do you, you can't honestly tell me that you look at Mikey Keen and see a guy who could lead UCF to 11 wins. And I'm like, you mean two more wins than they had this season? Yeah. I, I mean, what? Like, I just, people are crazy. Well, what did his record end up being? We, I think we did the same thing. It was like <clears throat> was seven, and seven three. and three. Yeah. He was seven and three as a starter. Oh, seven horrible. and three. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I can't believe that he only won 70% of his games as a true freshman with a billion injuries and basically no receivers. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, anyway. Future, he's no future. Yeah. He's, anyway. he's no future with UCF football. <laughs> You want to get into our end of season awards because this is going to be fun. Let's do it. Should I? So should I give what our preseason awards were? Yeah, just I guess. All right. So I'm treading. I'm treading one of these. If you're a longtime listener to the Pegasus Podcast, you were around for our preseason awards show where we bestowed awards before the season started, and we were just nailed it. Um, As so we normally do. I need to point out that my offensive MVP, defensive MVP, and breakout player all missed most of the season. So I don't know if you can technically. <laughs> So I mean, for offensive MVP, both of us picked Dylan Gabriel, and he may well earn that title at UCLA. Um, for <laughs> defensive MVP, I picked Kalia Davis, who uh, got hurt very early and is now headed to the NFL. Uh, I hope I hope he gets drafted. Kalia is awesome. Yeah. Um, defensive MVP, you picked Tatum Bethune. That one 
actually sort of worked out. Okay. Aged decently well. Um, breakout player, I picked Jalen Jalen Robinson, which you felt was a controversial pick at the time because you didn't understand how someone who had almost a thousand yards could break out the next season. But I did. my reasoning was that he was completely overshadowed by Marlon Williams, and I felt he was going to step into the wide receiver one role and have crazy numbers as every UCF wide receiver has. Instead, he was hurt all year. Um, your breakout player <laughs> was wide re- former five-star wide receiver Jordan Johnson. I meant Brandon Johnson. Okay. No, you did not. Jordan <laughs> Johnson. Uh, who I still we, feel like my logic who we was just, sound. Who we just have not seen. And apparently from what we've heard just isn't good at all. So that's uh, that's something. I still feel like my logic was sound. UCF didn't really have a wide receiver three, a clear cut one. And I was like, oh, the five star has to have some talent. He could step in. He's young. He'll play a lot. UCF converted Quadri Jones to wide receiver before they let Jordan Johnson see the field. (laughs) Quadri didn't see the field. I know. I'm exaggerating. But Jordan Johnson, apparently not good. So anyway. Hopefully uh, there's hope for him in the future. Still, there's got to be. We also, I don't know why we put this in awards, but we each picked a surprise and a disappointment. Um, my, My surprise was that the defense will be very good. And it looked dicey early, but I got that yep. one. Yeah, you got it. Uh, your surprise was that UCF will have a 1,000-yard <laughs> rusher and 1,000-yard receiver. If this offense would have been healthy, I think I would have gotten it. Sure. And uh, and I would have gotten offensive MVP, defensive MVP, and breakout player of the year. Yeah. So injuries really – this is the thing is, like, injuries – the amount of injuries this them. season made basically, like, 30 podcasts completely irrelevant. Like, oh, it's yeah. just completely – I've never seen anything get get hit with injuries by this and my biggest disappointment was the offensive points per game total i felt would be much lower than fans would have liked not for the reasons it was the case but that definitely <laughs> was the case your biggest disappointment was that dylan gabriel won't get the recognition he deserves <laughs> and i feel like i'll give you that one okay. not for the reasons yeah. we thought Sweet. but I'll that's, take it. dylan gabriel felt the same way and that's why he's headed to ucla so good for him Whew. But we hope you guys stick around all off season as we make more of these great predictions. <laughs> to be fair, if it wasn't for the freaking injuries, a lot of those would have hit. I yeah, just... I mean they were all sound predictions. It's just you can't you can't predict this kind of stuff really, which is funny because we're still going to try, and we're going to do a better job of this year. I want to see like I want to see like us. It's like a bell curve, not a bell curve, uh, exponential. I want to see us like getting yeah. better and better each year. So that yeah. by 2030, I just did the motion with my hand, but the motion was going up. You and just down. went straight up. <laughs> you just gave me like a vertical line, like went, an elevator. No, I did like the, yeah, like the, what's it called? The, like the, um, what's it called? The emoji where it's like, there's like a big spike down at one point. And I don't want to oh, do that. Yeah. Like, I just want to go straight up. Like, that'd be great. Yeah. The big spike down will be announced when we announce that Tatum Bethune will be the best player on UCF. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do, let's do it. Let's do our awards. Let's do it. All right. Well, I went first on predictions last week. So I'm going to give you the floor first for your offensive MVP. All right, let me first say, I just said all right very loudly, and if I heard yours, I apologize. Um, all right, offensive MVP, drum roll. No. Is, okay, <laughs> is Ryan O'Keefe. Okay, I also gave mine to Ryan O'Keefe. Oh, let's talk about him. Well, let's see. Um, I trashed him like three podcasts ago. I didn't trash him. I'm over No, that. that's the thing. I don't want you to keep saying that because we didn't trash him. I know. I just said that I felt like he wasn't necessarily, like, I felt that he couldn't necessarily live up to the role they wanted him in to sort of be the dynamic do-it-all guy, and then he basically single-handedly beat Florida doing that. Um, I mean, it just felt like this entire season, every time the offense was in a rut, which happened more than a few times, he was the one that broke them out of it. He yeah. was first in receiving yards. He had 812 receiving yards. He was third in rushing yards, which was kind of, su- of a surprise to me, 274 of those, and he had 10 total touchdowns. Those include receiving touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, and passing touchdowns, so Ryan O'Keefe was really like the Swiss Army knife do-it-all guy for UCF this year. And he was, I mean, there's no way around the fact he was just, and injuries were a big part of this. He was by far the most consistent offensive player. Like not even yeah. close. Yeah. And when, when Jalen went down, O'Keefe was suddenly like the number one receiver. It had to be him and Brandon Johnson, of course. 
Those were basically um, the only two serviceable receivers left. Yeah. Like, and he was like, whenever they needed a big play, it was either him or it was often sometimes it was Johnny Richardson, who was another guy I considered for this. Um, oh, I would but, never have given him offensive MVP. Yeah, I couldn't, but we'll get onto it. Okay. Um, but yeah, you said 10 total touchdowns and he had uh, 1,152 total yards. So 812 receiving yards, 274 rushing yards and 66 passing yards on uh, three of three passing. So had two passing touchdowns this season. But yeah, he was just, he was always there for a big play. And we, I think in a, in a way I was like, well, is this just kind of like now with like the Florida game under our belts, like, is this kind of recency bias? But no, it wasn't. I mean, really, if you look back over the games, like whenever UCF, even if he didn't have a ton of touchdowns, which he ended up having 10 total touchdowns, but he often would set up touchdowns. We saw that in the Florida game. He would, he would run, he had that like 70 something yard run or some, a long play down to like the five yard line and Bowser punched it in. But like, he was the guy that was making those plays. And going back to what we said a few weeks ago, it wasn't like he was he's like that kind of dynamic player in a different way than Otis Anderson was, because that's the that was the comparison we were making. Yeah. And he's a, he's a, he's a kind of dynamic player in a different way. And Yeah, I think maybe we did overlook a little bit of like just how dynamic he was, because when you when you look over the whole season and kind of take a holistic view of it, I don't know if I use that word right. Um, he really did like he did it all in in pretty impressive fashion. So. I if feel you like, remove um, if you remove Ryan O'Keefe end arounds from the playbook, I think UCF's like four and eight this year. <laughs> Possibly, I'm just being yeah. serious. I I think part of this is we fall. We talked about a lot of the Heisman stuff early a couple podcasts back, but this is kind of trap we fall into that the offense is always viewed through the lens of the quarterback. So mm-hmm. a lot of the discussions we had throughout the season were about Mikey Keenan, Mikey, Keenan, and it's almost like receivers just become accessories of the quarterback. And yeah, that was not the case this year. Ryan, o- I mean Ryan O'Keefe basically led the offense and. It's exciting that he'll be back next year. I think at this point, who knows? We've taken yeah, that's, that's what. But after I wrote that defensive article, I was like, well, a bunch of these guys could just transfer. I don't even know. I keep forgetting but, we're in the era now where like guys can totally just leave. And, and again, I want to say for the record, that's fine. And no one should be upset about that. And best of, if Tatum does move on, best of luck to him at his next stop. I, that's the yeah. era of college football UCF's in. You can't, you know, you can't be excited when UCF brings in transfers and then be upset when some UCF yeah. guys leave. It's just but the way what, world. What I want to say too, though, the, the fact like having, I mean, Assuming we have Ryan O'Keefe back next year, it's going to be <laughs> okay. So I really need to be clear. I just said that as a joke off of Tatum Bethune. Like I don't, we don't know anything. Yeah, we can say Ryan that for O'Keefe. every single player. We I'm sure Ryan that. O'Keefe will be back next year. But yeah. anyway, but having Ryan O'Keefe back, like he, he was very much the do-it-all guy this year. And like next year, you kind of add a player like Xavier Townsend, who we're really excited about, who can do that. And like you're just going to have so many more weapons. I feel like where in a lot of ways, O'Keefe was just the only one who could do a lot of things. I think, especially the only one that was healthy all year. Um, but to have him where he can't, they can run those end rounds with him, but also have a guy like Townsend, have a guy like McDonald, have a guy like Quan Lee. There's, there's, it seems like, I know that's relying a lot on true freshmen, but UCF does. I, I feel like next year is going to be a true freshman heavy year. It, I really it, do. Yeah. Because there are a couple positions a this year that, that like, were really thin. And the only way to correct that is to rely on the freshman coming in. Cause like you look at receiver, for example, like Jalen Robinson, I don't know what the hell I have no earthly idea if Jalen Robinson is going to be back next year. He did try to play in the bowl game. He, I mean, he, he was, he was completely suited up and tried to play. So the notion yeah. that I know some people are holding on to the, Oh, he's sitting out was clearly not true. He's gone from like tweeting his highlights and, and practice tape to declaring that him and O'Keefe are going to run the world. I have no idea of general atmosphere, but it still doesn't change. Brandon Johnson's gone. So you've got Jalen and you've got Ryan O'Keefe. You need other receivers. And Nate Craig Myers, I think, is gone. Yeah, I think um, he was like a fifth year senior. I'm even sure. if he's back, just doesn't help. 
Um, you've got Jordan Johnson, who's apparently bad. Yeah. You, and, and, but that's some things. So you have to rely on the young guys because that's all that's left. I'm thinking we'll see a lot more Titus next year. I'm thinking yeah. we'll have to see Quan Lee because who else is there? I, I and right. I'm sure UCF will try to get a transfer in there too. I think that'll be a priority for them. But so I think we're gonna see a lot of young guys next year, uh, except yeah. maybe a running back since there's 40 of them. But who knows? <laughs> there's a ton of running backs. But all right, you want to move on to our defensive MVP? Where I feel like it was a little bit tougher, but um, sure. Do you want to go first since I went first for offense? Sure, we can go ahead and go first. Um, we to be fair. Oh wait, that made no sense. We are you, like are the you venom? Multiple, <laughs> <laughs> multiple personalities in my brain will go first. Um, so to be clear on here, like you, we both know who we went, unless you made a last minute change. But I didn't. We I had almost, we had a conversation. About it. I almost picked the guy you picked, but just for like the sake of arguments, and also because I was already considering this guy anyway. I'm going to Quadric Bullard, who I think kind of just to me felt like he came out of nowhere this year. Like, it just seemed like he... You think Quadric Bullard was... I'm just going to fight you on this. You think Quadric Bullard was the best defensive player for UCF this year? I, I think you can make a case for it. Make your case. Let's hear it. Okay, well, um, <laughs> one, first of all, the so the secondary got better and better as the year went on, and he I think he was the guy that was, like, probably the leader of that secondary and playing really, really well. If you look at his stats, 84 tackles, which is second most on the team, 59 solo. He had two sacks, six passes defend, uh, defended, uh, one forced fumble and three fumble recoveries. He was just, whenever there was a play to be made, he seemed like he was around it. Um, and with those two sacks, I just think, I mean, one of them came against Cincinnati and that was a game that obviously didn't go UCF's way, but he sacked Desmond Ritter. So I'll give him some points for that. Um, and also the other one basically finished off any hopes of a two lane uh, game winning drive in the final seconds. He sacked Michael Pratt for like a loss of 11, set him back with like 30 seconds left. Um, it just seemed like he had some impactful plays throughout the year and, if, if I was to point to one guy in the secondary that was really like the star of the back end of the defense, it would be him. Yeah, and he had a very impactful play when he broke Gus Malls on the leg. Yeah, I didn't want to um, mention that. Is he in the doghouse, you think? You think he's in the doghouse? <laughs> We've since confirmed that that was a joke. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I see where you're going for there. I just don't agree. Um, I think quite again, I, again, I did this for argument's sake. I probably would have given, if we were just going to be boring, go chalk with it, I would have pick the guy you pick but okay but do you think it's stupid that the heart and soul of UCF's entire team this year was arguably the defensive line and we're both just going to completely ignore that unit for our defensive MVP no because I think it was more of like a collective effort I don't know that one guy like really took over like the whole year I think we saw different guys step up at different times and that's true I think, I think Kalia would have been defensive MVP if yeah healthy I do and I, I think yeah I mean obviously Big Cat had some big games especially down the stretch um Josh Seliscar was another one who made plays Tramon Morris Brash um Ricky Barber like they're they're all those guys I think were I think were more or less like that was UCF's strength on defense but I can't single like single single out one of them I think to give him MVP it's just another example to me in this I'm not like insulting us obviously but it's just like the way stats were it's like guys in the trenches just never get respect yeah <laughs> like, no they never do like and... it's it is because it, it's yeah. true for exactly what you just said. Like as a unit, they were everything. But when you try to break them down individually. Well, that's why I'm glad that like college football does have so many awards during award season where it's like they, they, they give out awards like interior offensive linemen and like yeah. the best, the best long snapper in the country. Like, those kind of things like those guys deserve recognition. So I'm kind of glad something I'm glad that college football does. I think the Heisman is like just it's dumb at this point the heisman is but, a total incomplete sham it just and it yeah. has been for a while now and shame on the hundreds and hundreds of voters who help keep it a sham every year by not actually watching college football yeah. um anyway uh my defensive mvp 
is former UCF Knight Tatum Bethune. Oh, come on. Uh, no, I feel like we should preface again. This was like one post on a FSU board and we're now rolling through it for yeah. this podcast. Like it is an absolute certainty, but that, that FSU guy who said that is typically but pretty, typically pretty the last time we did that. We kind of rolled with like a report was with the Dylan Gabriel stuff. And like two days later he was gone. So <laughs> you're not wrong. Maybe Tatum will stick around. We'll see. But anyway, I hope, I hope he does for the record, obviously. Um, I thought, well, yeah, of course I hope he does. He was defensive MVP. <laughs> He's also just a great guy. I mean, come <laughs> My on. My breakout player of the year. Uh, yeah, if he doesn't, we wish him luck in his next stop. I'm willing to bet he'll be defensive MVP basically wherever he goes. But yeah, it was Tate Bethune for me. He was a huge part of the team. We didn't really talk a lot about this year about just like how thin UCF was at linebacker about any of the year, especially once Bryson got hurt. Yeah. And Eric Gillard obviously to the portal. And he kind of masked that. I mean, that's why we didn't talk about it. And, you know, he led the team in tackles by a lot. He had like 20 plus more tackles than anybody else, I think. Um, he was six in sacks uh, behind literally just all the defensive linemen. Yeah. Um, he led the team in interceptions. I mean, he was just, he was very much the heart and soul of the defense. He was just great this year. He was dynamic. I mean, he, uh, you know, uh, we talk about how UCF's defense just got better and better as the year went on. Part of that is I believe Tatum missed all of, or most of the Louisville game where UCF's yeah. defense looked horrible. And I think he missed the Navy game too. I believe he did. And those are two games. So, I mean, honestly, if Tatum Bethune is healthy this whole year, you could make a case that UCF wins like 10 games in the Even regular season. Even if you season. don't want to give them the Louisville game. I, I think he makes a huge difference because like, Navy was just running the ball all over UCF. I think that's totally he, fair. That's totally his fair. presence, his presence there. I'm pretty, he I'm pretty sure he missed that game. I'm not like, I'm going to double check now, but I'm almost sure. He did. I'm almost but, sure um, he did. but yeah, you know, I kind of missed an opportunity here because I, predicted him from the beginning of the year to be the defensive MVP. And if I would have given him the defensive MVP. Yeah, I I was about, yeah, I didn't even think, but well, this is a little suspect because we agreed to pick separate people and I claimed the food so we could have more conversation. Yeah. Cause that's what I was, that's basically, yeah. If we were doing this for like, we were voting for it or whatever, like as like a wider UCF media, I would have voted for Tatum. Okay. He didn't just wanted to make the case for Quadric Bullard. He didn't play against Navy. He might've played more against Louisville than I thought. Cause he had seven tackles. Um, Interesting. Then he came back. He had 17 tackles against East Carolina. Good Lord. And uh, anyway, he had 18, he had, he had 14 against UConn and 18 against USF. <laughs> just, so, he's, the, he's the defensive MVP. I mean, yeah. He, he, so yeah. And like, you know, on a quick tangent about the Navy game, if UCF won that game, which they obviously absolutely should have, like, that's the one loss that I can't get out of my head this year. They'd won 10 games. They would have finished in the top 25. I can't get over that loss. And it, there's not even like one moment you can pin it to. Well, you probably can, but it's like not fair. Like you can probably pin it to the Brandon Johnson fumble. Um, oh, okay. That's because that would have been a first down that would have effectively ended the game, and he caught that's it, true. ran, and then fumbled. But that's implying that the loss was on Brandon Johnson, and that's in no way the case. It was I, was, I thought like you were going to say it was the moment was inserting Joey Gatewood down by like in the. I was about to say if you want to bl- if you want to go blame the coaches, it would definitely be the moment that Mikey Keene finally gets in a rhythm and is torching down the field, and Gus is like, "I he have marched the them down the plan. field." Literally marches them down the field, and Gus is like, "I've got this." And I gotta say, I love Gus Falzon. I think he's a fantastic coach. I can't wait to see what we do here. He still hasn't learned the freaking Florida game. They put him in at the freaking goal line and throw a pass, and he almost throws a pick. At, he almost threw a one yard interception into the end zone. Like, how many times does that happen in a season? And Joey Gatewood was like, "Don't worry, I got you." Dylan Gabriel did it against Boise State. Essentially, yeah, word on the street is Joey Gate was <laughs> word on the street is Joey Gate was going to be a tight end next year. Uh, that uh, I, th- I think he could be very good there. <laughs> so, I mean, his size is insane. Like, yeah, I think he'd be an awesome tight end, and I look yeah. forward to not seeing Joey Gate with throw pass ever again. So he might. Um, let's, let's hope not. See. Let's hope not. 
Yeah. I want to see a send, double reverse. Send the tight end, send the tight end in motion and let snap it directly to him. And it just rolls out. <laughs> no, I want to see like a double reverse where like Mikey throws it back to O'Keefe, who then throws it back to Joey Gatewood, who then throws a 40 yard pick down the field. Like that's what I'm <laughs> hoping for this season. Um, oh gosh. Oh, that really just bothered me. You just said this season and it's like next season. That's like eight months from now. There like, are no, it's not about... the fact that you said this season. It's just like the fact that this season now means next August. I counted earlier today. We have about like 30 podcasts in between us and next season. That doesn't make it sound as bad to me. Oh, really? It makes it sound way worse to me. <laughs> really? I, I don't know. When I think of it, like in, in terms of like months or weeks, like when I think of like eight months, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's like, I don't even know if I'll be alive then. I mean, <laughs> right. we'll be That'd on be... like the, we'll be on like the 90th COVID variant. Who even knows what's going to be going on? It's going to be a whole different world. Um. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Breakout players. Okay, you go first since I went first with defensive MVP. All right. My breakout player was a player who I have always loved and respected and never said a bad word about on this podcast, Johnny Richardson. Okay, so we, that's interesting because I also went with Johnny Richardson. I, um, he feels like the obvious breakout player. Yeah, he does. That's why, because when I said the thing earlier and I was like saying he was, you said I would not give him an MVP. I was like, oh, we'll talk about him because I was pre, like previewing this because he really was like, yeah, I mean, he had the moments and where I kind of settled when I was talking, when I was thinking about this earlier was that we, we talked about this mostly around the SMU game, but he had moments throughout the year where like he, his vision sometimes where he just like, wasn't great cuts back when it's not there. Like he like has a clear first down and he just tries to do too much and like that. So like as a pure, as a pure running back, like there's obviously things he needs to work on, but he was a playmaker. And I think in a way, like, I think Adrian Killens had that sometimes too, where like on some of those short runs, like you'd be like, AK, what are you doing? Like, dude, come on but then he would just break off these long runs and like spark the offense. And I feel like, you know, Johnny Richardson did that probably to a lesser extent than AK, but he did it. He did it a lot um, this year. Well, the thing about the difference was AK would sometimes hit a wall, but it was because he was very much, he was like shooting like a ball out of a cannon. Like it was just like the the hole was there. It wasn't like Johnny would have the first down and be like, I think I need to circle back to this linebacker who's trying to end me. And I never understood like why that would happen. Yeah. But um. Anyway, I don't know why I keep saying anyway. I've said that like four times on the podcast. He almost had a thousand total yards. I had no idea he led the team in rushing yards. I just kind of missed that this entire I mean, season. It didn't it feel that way. Given Bowser's injuries. Yeah. But yeah. 733 I mean, yards. And he on had six, on 104 carries. He had 65 total yards last season. After he, I think Hypel basically benched him for the entire second half of the year after he fumbled against Tulsa, which, you know, yeah. Hypel showing yeah. his excellent player development skills. But to, yeah. to like, put that in a different perspective 733 yards and 104 carries he averaged seven yards a carry that's, that's really freaking good <laughs> literally that's like greg mccray level so i want to look up something really quickly you i want to look up something really quickly so i'm going to okay. do that um all right because now i'm curious so he had how many total yards 733 no total yards he had 959 or i didn't mean total yards i don't know why oh, i asked you that i meant rushing yards 733 so he had more than adrian killens had in all but one of his seasons at ucf that's that's interesting to me, but it's also a little misleading. It's incredibly misleading, but it's still true. And like for a lot of the year, like Johnny just had to be the lead back. And during AK's time, there was no lead back really. How many? Well, just, that's the thing is like him and Greg and Otis were kind of just one person. Yeah, but, it was uh, just whoever was like the hottest at that point. Well, how many yards per carry did he average? Seven. So see, Killen's average, that's all also better than except all but one year of Killen's at UCF. Killen's out of 7.2 one year. Killen's had way more touchdowns, but. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of just the, the, since Johnny was a speed guy, like once they got in the red zone, they were like, you're done. And he would just go yeah. sit on the bench to watch someone he, else get the touchdown. 
it was like so many times i don't know how many like instances like specifically there were but like richardson would break off like a long run and then often maybe like isaiah bowser would come back in when he was healthy or it would be like mark anthony richards or brandon johnson would get one of his like what do you have 11 touchdowns i feel like most of those were came in the red zone so yeah i feel like a lot of times it was richardson like again like o'keefe kind of breaking off the big play and he did it against florida too like he had that like 33 yard run i yeah. think that was the first big play that UCF was like sparking the offense um, um do you find it interesting that johnny richardson is the breakout player we've unanimously decided so it's the case i know where you're going with this uh let's see if you are uh, led the team in rushing yards and arguably might be like the fourth best running back next year yeah, I mean, that's pretty much where I thought you were going to go with that. Is I thought you were more going to say, that, like, not that he's not going to play next year, but more that, like, he might not get nearly the amount of reps just with um, with McDonald and Townsend coming in. and Which I could be totally wrong. Yeah, like, no, you, I, I mean. Because, you know, I, he McDonald's going to be a true freshman. Um, yeah, as, a, as an established guy, he might be, like, one of the main guys early on next year. I just think maybe we'll see more of McDonald and more of Townsend and yeah, I, might, I think next year we might see more of Mark Anthony Richards. Too. Well, that, I was about to say, because my, well, you're forgetting another one. I have RJ Harvey ahead of him too. Right. Oh yeah. He, I think RJ Harvey's going to start next year. Yeah. So that's why I'm just like, I, like, there are just so many running backs. And as I look at the list, like, I know that I should have more like confidence in Johnny. And it's not necessarily that I don't, I just feel like, I still feel like MAR has more upside than John. And I feel like if that upside shows he will play. So yeah. I don't know. And RJ Harvey think... was going to be the number one running back this season. Yeah. So I don't know. But I think what, what Johnny has in his favor is the speed and they'll, they'll find ways to use his speed. So yeah, they'll I, find, I mean, he'll get, he'll get on the field. Gus has shown, he showed it with Rhino. He showed a few different players that he can find creative ways to use players. So it's not like there's any talent that's going to go unused. Um, yeah. Well, there are some players on the roster who didn't play that might argue that case with you, <laughs> but I think in reality that there's not talent that's going to go unused. So Yeah. So we had two of the three were the same. And the only one we didn't have the same, we intentionally changed. We were going to have the same. So yeah, but but basically been wholly unanimous. I don't know if this last one's going to be uniform of the year. Uniform of the year. Let's do it. You go, wait, who went for it? You go first. Cause I gave Johnny first. Okay. I feel like I don't know what this reaction. I feel like you should clarify only UCF uniforms are eligible for. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, I struggled with this a lot and I, honestly just my personal preference came down to like it came down to that i chose the blackout against south florida what i chose the same yeah i chose the same thing (laughs) okay well okay well let me clarify space was the best uniform but i just didn't want to pick space yeah i feel like i felt like space was was too like i just feel like it didn't count (laughs) it doesn't like space is awesome and it's always awesome like every year yeah every year you could pick the space as the uniform of the year so So, yeah the best not i'm still mad at that freaking bracket ucf did of all the uniforms (laughs) That they'd worn from like, which I helped seed at, like my, it's like my freaking baby and you all ruined it. You all just ruined <laughs> it by voting for space and nothing else. And y'all voted for freaking wins. Like there would be like a great comma that UCF lost in and some like not so good comma they won. And people were like, oh, I love Milton in that game. Like, that's just not what this is. This isn't like, <laughs> this isn't rank UCF's games. That's not what the freaking bracket was. And you guys just, oh man, I'm still heated about that. It was like two years ago. I'm still not I over can it. tell. But anyway, no, the blackout for USF was, wow, my voice cracked on blackout. I'm having a rough time, guys, with just basic speaking this night. (laughs) This night tonight. (laughs) Um, It was, obviously, it was the debut of the new Nighthead, which looked so freaking good in chrome gold. I know I've said this on nine different podcasts, but my favorite thing about that freaking decal is that when when light doesn't hit the chrome gold, all that lights up is the white eyes. And it just looks like this night outline with white eyes, and it's the coolest freaking thing. There's a picture that UCF posted of it from like during that game or from that game. I think it was UCF equipment posted it. And like, I was 
just to refresh my memory, I was scrolling through like the media section of UCF Equipment's Twitter, just like, all right, this is what they wore here, this is what they wore here. And that was one of the pictures where I was like, all right, I can't not pick this one. It was just it, so sick. What it did come down to, like when I said it was personal preference, I think I just like a blackout look better than I like the whiteout look. And because I was like considering, I was considering the Tulane one because I love, I love that state of Florida, the white state of Florida helmet with that whiteout look. But if I'm going to be choosing between an all black uniform and all white uniform, I just thought, I think the all black one looks better. And that's interesting because in my book, Tulane isn't even the best whiteout of the season. Did you like the Louisville one better? I love the Louisville one. I thought it was so sleek. Um, and then but that's personal preference. Yeah. Another personal part, like I, I couldn't pick a, like, the uniform because as a whole uniform, it wasn't better than any of the other ones I was considering, but the night, the script night's helmet, which we saw multiple times really, really liked that. So let me tell you a really dumb thought. Cause I, I don't know if you did send me serious scrolling. I looked at photos of each of the uniforms, one uniform that I really liked. And I don't know if I processed it at the time, how much I liked it, but on scrolling back, I kept stopping me like, damn, was freaking ECU white helmet, black Jersey, gold pants. Which is interesting because like beforehand you're like, oh, this is not gonna this is not gonna be good. I was really worried about it. I was deeply yeah. worried about it. And it looked really freaking good. Like I remember I did, I, yeah, I do you remember how stressed I was? I had you send me photos like as soon as you got in the stadium. I was because yeah. I was uh why didn't I cover that game? I, I had think... COVID. I had COVID. Um that's right. Yeah. I can't remember. Or no, 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 no. At that point, someone I lived with had COVID and I had not caught it yet. But I was as as an abundance of caution, I didn't go. And guess what? Turns out that was the yeah. smart move. Um, but anyway, and I was, I was like, as soon as you get in the stadium, I need you to send me photos of this uniform. And you sent me the photos. I'm like, this looks awesome. It looked, <laughs> it like, cause I was just like, and I was totally on board with them doing it. Cause I thought it was cool with like, you know, Blake Bortles being inducted that uh, weekend. Uh, yeah. It was but, like a throwback look. Yeah. It was like a throwback. A, look. Mo- thought, a modern throwback look. Yeah. But I was just stressed because people have a tendency to really attack the gold pants. And, but it looked so nice. And when I was looking back at the first day, I was like, wow, I really liked that. Like, I was just, yeah. I, I almost wanted to like go totally out, out of left field and pick it, but it just wasn't the best thing they wore this year. But like, I liked it a lot. It was cool. Yeah, um, it was good. I mean, they wore a lot of really, I mean, they always wear a lot of really nice. Man, I, you got to give a shout out to UCF equipment real quick because they were limited to white helmets for like, uh, even though most fans just couldn't figure that out, which was really frustrating uh, for <laughs> almost the entire season until they finally got black helmets in. And they were so creative and had so like being limited to one helmet and still being able to be one of the best dressed teams in the country was really damn impressive. I mean, the decal I mean, game was insane. To even go from like they had that they introduced that Knights, the script Knights decal, and you know, they went back to it. And then to even add a variation of the script Knights decal with like the little, I don't even know how what to call them. I don't remember what it was called, but I think it was the SMU game, right? Yeah, with the, like the gold, little, like, uh, the gold fleck in it or whatever. There's, <laughs> yeah, a, whatever there's it a word for it and it's out of my freaking yeah. head now. Damn it. Um, uh, yeah, it was yeah. really cool though. Yeah, just for them to put a spin on something they had just introduced like a few weeks earlier. Like it was, yeah, they, they did a really good job all year. And then the, the surprise, that was another thing for the blackout was that like at that point, we're kind of like, all right, well, they're not going to really be able to flake. do a true blackout. It's gold flake. Flake, that's there you go. Was. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, like, well, they're probably not going to be able to do a true blackout, which is going to kind of be like, oh, that's, that's rough. And then for them to do the fake out with the video too, and then like just seeing that, I remember I was like in traffic on the way to a Bucks game. It was a Monday night game and I was just kind of like, I, I got the notification. I was like, all right, let me watch this real quick. And I'm like, I'm in traffic waiting in line to pull into the parking lot. And I see that. And like, I'm like, oh, okay, it's the white helmet. And then it does the reveal. And I'm like, wait, no way. And that that's video was you. an all-time fake like, out. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was great. I really all-time fake out. It. And then, just, and then we got to game day and I'm just like seeing down the field. I was like, wow, I missed black helmets. And wow, this was just a great black I helmet. Missed, I had no idea how much I missed the black helmets until we got to that which is so funny because it's just you miss what you don't have like last year i was so sick of the black helmets by the end of the season because they, they, <laughs> they had to again supply chain crap they had to alternate between black and gold and i was like i would kill for a peter helmet i would kill for white helmet and then this year i'm like yes white helmets my game three i'm like ah <laughs> oh, the black helmets <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's that yeah, was I, me last year with the gold helmets so i was like are we just gonna keep wearing gold helmets but 
I yeah. um yeah, and the fan base was like, "Why aren't you wearing the white helmet?" I just you, some of you guys are dense. I'm sorry. Like I, I it just it was it was the same thing this year. I just freaking it was funny watching people like some people figure it out week by week, and like by the end of the season, there was still just like a few people that were like, "Really, the white helmets again?" And then the people that didn't know before were like, "Now nah, here's why." And I was like, "Ah, oh, man." My my like, personal favorite was personal I growth. I don't even remember who it was, but I saw someone who when they dropped the the blackout for USF tweeted like, "Whoa, they painted the white helmets for the USF." <laughs> I just thought that was the funniest uh, thing. But anyway, yeah. Um, I, I, I can't wait to see what they do with the new Nighthead next year. I'm sure there's going to be oh, some yeah. really cool stuff. There's so much you can do with it. I mean, we saw that with the old Nighthead. I mean, so many different Which colors. Which is funny because we were like, or I think it was one of your concerns of when they released the new Nighthead, you're like, I don't know how that's going to look on a helmet. My primary concern great. was like, I did not think it would look good at the decal because I don't like front facing decals. I like decals that are on an angle because yeah. it looks like they're carrying forward with the team. Yes, I'm that much of a freak. But this one just looks really good. The eyes are what does it. And you have the plume, which faces back on each side, which gives that sort of windswept perception that it is moving forward. So, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm so excited. My new thing I really want to see with that is I want to see a blackout with a a white version of it. Oh, never mind. No, I'm an idiot. I want a blackout with the black version we've seen on shirts where it's a black outline and just the eyes. And then if mm-hmm. you did that and you did the inside of the night instead of completely black, like maybe just like a charcoal gray or like an either side. Oh man, that would look. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait. It's gonna be fun. Well, it's funny because like if we hadn't decided to go different ways on the defensive uh, MVP, we would have just had unanimous picks across the board. We essentially yeah. did it yeah. anyway. Yeah, that's you're right. Because even with uniform, so we're unfortunately yeah. agreeing a lot. We need to start disagreeing more. Well, we we've um, got to start there with the defensive MVP. Had to make a, had to make a case for Quadric Bullard. But uh, and, I'll jump what, into the what football. a case you made. I'll jump into the football news really quick. Um, so UCF, like we talked about this already, UCF getting a Christmas Day commitment from four-star Apopka defensive end Caven Call, um, which yeah, the, to, for him to be like, was already leaning that way to stay home, and then he was like, but the I had to jump on it when when UCF beat Florida. I was just like, nah, we love you already. Um, Kalia Davis, as you mentioned earlier, announced that he's entering the NFL draft. Best of luck to Kalia. I really was like holding off, holding, holding out like on a small glimmer or sliver of hope that he would somehow return. That's not going to be the case, but yeah, just really, really looking forward to rooting for him wherever he goes. I really hope uh, teams at the next level, cause he doesn't have a lot of tape. And I feel like that's the yeah. biggest thing against him is cause obviously he opted out in 2019 or he opted out in 2020, excuse me, and got hurt this year. But every time he has been healthy and on the field, he's been great. And yeah, I, I hope that teams realize that because he could do Hopefully. great at the next level. So Hopefully that's the case. Um, Chip Lindsay was hired as UCF's new offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach to replace GJ Kenny. I'm assuming I didn't really like look into this and I, you might know better than me, but is that offensive coordinator title just basically the same, the same like title as Kenny had? Yeah, Gus Malzahn's like, the offense. Gus is still going to be a call, play yeah. call. He's not giving that up. So no, he's never just to make that, that clear. Chip Lindsay is essentially the quarterback's coach with a title that can help him get another. Just job like Kenny team. was exactly, and it yeah. worked out for Kenny. He's now head coach. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Kenny, he hired um, recruiting and offensive assistant Cam Martin away to be his running backs coach at Incarnate Word. Um, what a name like, for a school, by the way. Incarnate Word. Yeah. Incarnate Every time Word. I see it, I'm like, that doesn't sound like a school. Is that like a religious thing? I, I couldn't tell. It you. Sounds like it is. Like ah, oh, we must listen to the Incarnate Word whatever it sure. is. I don't know. I hope um, I'm not deeply offending someone because I really don't know what it means, but anyway. Hopefully not. Um, Blake Bortles signed with the New Orleans Saints. They had a bunch of COVID issues in their quarterback's room. I wish someone would just give Blake Bortles like an actual chance at some point again. He is, apparently that's just not going to happen. He has made a career out of being like the 33rd best quarterback in the NFL. Like he's it's just like, always... It's not even that because like whenever he's signing for these teams, like he's just the emergency option. They don't ever even play him. Like I wish, I don't know how he's considered not good enough to be a backup anywhere. 
isn't he kind like, of living the dream? He he just go he hangs out in Florida or wherever he lives, golfs, has a good time, gets a call, goes and suits up, makes a few hundred K, goes back to golf and repeats that for the season. I, like, I mean, never I has guess, to actually play. I guess if that's your dream, I don't know. I think I, I think like, being paid lots of money to not work is the dream. I, no, I, yeah, I, I, you know? I feel like that's the case, but I feel like I, if, as a quarterback, like as a guy who's played in the NFL, he probably is like, oh, I would like to play again. I was saying before on this know. podcast, fired football coach is the best job in the world. And I think I mean, the second best job in the world is second string quarterback. Like, I just think both of those things are just elite. Like it's, it's minimum work for maximum payout. It's just, it's yeah. awesome. Um, UCF will be holding a hometown hero event at the end of January. It sounds like it's a bit of a similar thing to bounce house weekend, but with I think it's just a day. The, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, is it just a day? Oh yeah. So. I said hometown hero event, but yeah, it sounds similar to that. And um, like, uh, especially for guys in the immediate area. Um, I texted like, you this when it um I wonder where the cutoff is like a guy from Gainesville is like I want to come they're like no yeah, you're like you're not a hometown hero. you're not a hometown hero um <laughs> Tommy Castellanos is like can I check it out they're like stay in Georgia <laughs> but um no I, I texted this to you and I saw that I, I, like whoever's coming up with the names for these events is killing it like they're all so cool the hometown hero event bounce house weekend they're doing a very good job Pretty great. Um, Gus Malzahn is a finalist for the Steve Spurrier first year coach award, which was given to a coach in his first year with the program. Uh, the other finalists are South Carolina's Shane Beamer and guess who Tennessee's Josh Heupel. So um, um, did you know that if Heupel or Malzahn win, either of them will become the first two time winner of that award? I did because I think you told me that. That's probably why. Um, yeah. But yeah. Which means <laughs> Shane Beamer won. I actually genuinely think Shane Beamer will win. Uh, I, if I'm being totally honest, he deserves it more than the other two, <laughs> but uh, either way, excited to see how that one goes unless I pull in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, that'll be not a lot of fun. Um, in terms of transfer portal news, UCS, UCF has had some players enter the transfer portal recently. Uh, Charlie Browder, Zamari Maxwell, Devontae Dawson, and Andrew Brito are all on their way out. Um, that bet Jay joined a couple of other guys that I don't even remember, like, did we talk about when Kavan Ahmad joined the transfer por- or entered the transfer portal? I don't I think don't we did, which he should have, because we like jokingly referenced him a lot on this podcast. Yeah. And now he's gone. We kept waiting. I don't for think Kavan we Ahmad did to- talk about him because when I was looking at the list today, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> no, we, like, talk, wait, we, talked did- to, we talked about it off the pod. I don't think we ever talked about it. Maybe. Okay. Because when I went to, when I went, I don't even remember talking. I think I just slipped my mind. because I was like, I don't remember this being news, but it was like at the beginning of December. So we, we like have. very early on a podcast because I, for the last like two off seasons, would always be like, I wonder if this is the year we see Kavana Mod. And then, like, well, one of our we spring prom- podcasts, we I was promised. like, oh, let's see. We always promised Kavana Mod. We were and promised a Kavana Mod breakout season. I think as like a freshman. Yeah. And we never got it. Wow. So that's tough. Well, now we will, just not here. Um, New segment alert. Wait, I have to say something else. Oh, okay. Do you Dang think it. there's any chance that, Char- sorry, uh, do you think there's any chance that Charlie Browder left because Gus Malzahn could not remember his name on two separate occasions? <laughs> I'm glad you interrupted me because I meant to say something about it. Yeah, it's, it's probably not the best thing when there were two different press conferences. Our tall freshman. Our tall young freshman. There were two different uh, podcasts. There were two different pressers this year where Malzahn tried to talk about Browder and could not remember his name, just referred to him as our tall freshman. So, well, you could have said, yeah, two podcasts as well, because I think we mentioned it both times on the podcast because that was just funny. Because it was so funny, just the way yeah. you pretty was like, you know, and then we put our uh, uh, our tall, young freshman tight end out it's there. It's funny because <laughs> the transfer portal, like that Twitter account will like announce when someone goes to the transfer portal and like put any stats or whatever. And if they don't have any stats, it'll be like, oh, he didn't register any stats during his time there. Like if, if he had any stats, I think he had like two or three targets in the red zone. Just none of them worked out. He had two very almost touchdowns. I like to think yeah. that someone came into Gus's office, like Charlie Browder's going to the portal. And he was like, who? He's like, oh, they're like, they're like just the tall guy. And he's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. no. He's <laughs> like, oh, we can't we can't dial up that play anymore. <laughs> New segment alert. Those are horns. 
going to cut that um, podcast. That was horrible. Oh, okay. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Just, Maybe I'll leave it in. We'll see. <laughs> it's twice now that my new segment has been destroyed. We're off to a great start. Um, <laughs> just really quick every week, I want to shout out like a game of the week since we're heading into the offseason. A lot of other sports going on. UCF fans in a lot of ways don't care about other sports than football for some reason. Wish that wasn't the case, but the game of the week this week to, to pay attention to is coming up Thursday night, UCF men's basketball hosting Michigan. Uh, UCF comes into the game at eight and two and one and zero in the AAC while Michigan comes in at seven and four and one and one in the big 10. I think there's gonna be a really good crowd for that one. It seemed like they were, I think it's yeah, bounce house, not the bounce house. Uh, what do we call that arena? Adfi? Is that what people call it? Yeah, I guess that arena needs a name. Like yeah, I think house. it's like, do people call it like the, I don't know. I've seen it very like sparingly called like the dungeon or like the, the kingdom or not. the kingdom. Well, we have something that's the dungeon and it's certainly not that arena. Yeah. Um, so I, I still religiously refer to it as CFE and it hasn't been CFE for like a long time now, but that's just what it's in. My it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's CFE. We're going to call it CFE, CFE arena. Yeah. Yeah. So head out yeah, to CFE arena, which is sold out. Seems like it's going to be a really good atmosphere, really big chance for UCF to get a big win um on their resume for the postseason before they start get back into conference play so yeah wrapping up wrapping up non-con there um and with that i'll throw it over to you throw it over to you for your tweet of the week this should be interesting tweet of the week where i highlight my favorite tweet of the week they are always very good tweets that are definitely not stupid um i had four this week we're, we're kind of stretching with tweet of the week because they were just <laughs> tweets were of just- the week there were just too many to, to keep track of. So one is, for reference, a couple of days ago, I tweeted the record against non-conference Power 5 opponents in the last five years for each Florida team. And UCF is 6-3, and three, Florida is 6-3, and three, Florida State is 1-7, Miami is 1-7. I provide no commentary on that. I just put that information out there. <laughs> At USF Dom, I think you can tell what school he roots for on his bio. He actually has USF not capitalized in his bio, so maybe he's like secretly UCF. <laughs> uh, he replies to me and says, USF is four and five in non-conference power five games over the last five years. So by this logic, we're better than FSU and Miami. What logic did I present? <laughs> I, what logic did I present? Dom, I just listed a stat. And, no. you're the, and you're the one who inserted, you inserted your own logic and then told me that your logic was dumb. So congrats to Dom on being a finalist for Tweet of the Week. Um, next one is, I don't want to say his handle because it seems like it might be dirty. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> say, I'll just say his bio name. His bio name is Always Tilted. And he replied to my stat that I referenced earlier about how Mikey Keene has a better winning percentage than Dylan Gabriel, which I fully, I know that means nothing. I just tweeted that, start some Mikey Keene conversation. And he replies to me and says, Always Tilted, great football scout, says, you know, there's such a thing called the eye test and seeing slash knowing when a player does or doesn't have it, dot, dot, dot. And truth be told, and I'm, I know for a fact Gus Malzahn does this, and I'm sure that most FBS coaches do, when you need to know if a player has it, you check with someone who has 40 followers on Twitter and see what they have to say about it. So my, I have realized that like there's a very easy way, and I'm not trying to insult anybody while well, I am, there's a really easy way to tell someone who doesn't know what they're talking about when it comes to football or any sport really, and it's when they say, well, the eye test. You know what's not a thing? The eye test. The eye test is like an intangible thing. Like, yeah, like when you look at a guy who's like 6'11", you might be like, hmm, yeah, the eye test shows he's good. No, anyone who comes at me with Mikey stuff is like, well, I looked at the eye test. Is this the same eye test that you used to discredit Mackenzie Milton in 2016? Because a lot of UCF fans had the eye test that year too. So um, they've, they've developed and upgraded the eye test since then. Yeah, congrats always tilted on your tweet of the week finalist. I have two more. I'm going to get through these guys. Uh, but these two, and now we're moving into some Florida guys. And these were just too good. So I tweeted just one of my many tweets about Florida, you know, be, not being good. And, and in Napier, we trust replied to me. I think many of you have had conversations with him on Twitter the last week. He's been everywhere. 
He replied to me, funny, can't remember when Central Florida won a national park ring. <laughs> you mean they didn't go to Yellowstone and get one? I could barely get through that without laughing. I, that notification popped up and I laughed for like 30 minutes. I just like, it was like a double take where you're just like, huh? I, I just, you know, he's 100% right. Not, I also cannot remember when UCF won a national park ring. I hope it's something they do Me one either. day. Um, and you know, what's best is that's not even the best tweet I got from a quote unquote Florida fan. So I tweeted a lovely poem, um, on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you saw my poem, Bailey. I did. Yes. Uh, I don't know if our listeners did, so I'm going to go ahead and announce it really, or not announce it, recite my poem to you really quickly. You need to know it for the reply. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the state for the first time ever, there was no debate. UCF and UF finally met on the field and it turned out the Gators are an overrated program living in the past. Merry Christmas. And I got what is one of my favorite replies from all time. This guy's, and this is why I'm confused. His handle is at Iowa State Proud. Um, re- replied to me, boil bubble, toil trouble. UF dropped the ball, but they outclass nights at study hall. UCF ballers amuse themselves with crayons and puzzles stacked on shelves. As knights drill ABCs, Gators can snag a PhD. So gaze at the score and feel really smug. He threw an exclamation point in there. Gators dismiss UCF with the shrug. So he is my tweet of the week winner. I, I, I can't believe I had a, like a poet poem slam event on Twitter with someone that was pretty wild, but congrats to at Iowa state proud. I think this is our last podcast. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we can continue after you read that on our podcast. I don't think that's, I don't think we can go on. You gotta give him points for that. I think, I think the like boil bubble toil trouble was my favorite part, but yeah, congrats We're, to Iowa. I was they proud on that poem. <laughs> we're running, we're running a little bit long, but can I give an honorable mention to a tweet? Yeah, just real quick. All right, this is uh at bases on bulls. I'm sure you maybe you saw this. The uh, this is the maybe this is the official USF football timeline. Um, so they according to bases on bulls, this is the timeline for USF football. The indoor practice facility opens next fall in 2022. They win their first division title, which is that's already funny. Um, they host the conference championship and win it. Wait, US, the, hold on, hold on. USF wins their first division title. Yes. In the divisionless AAC. There you go. Okay. There's, all right. Sorry. Just check. That's go hilarious. Ahead. Then they host the conference championship and win it. Then they win the Peach Bowl and finish top 10. Okay. And then we're fast forwarding to the winter of 2022. They break ground on an on campus stadium. So this is, again, this is Isn't next the Peach winter. Bowl a semifinal next year? Probably. This, uh, we've established that there's no division. So <laughs> it this is. is. The clearly, Peach Bowl is a semifinal next year. This is clearly concrete, so you can't argue with it. Then in the summer of 2023, they, the USF gets invited, the USF, USF gets invited to the ACC. And then in the fall of 24, they open their on-campus stadium. So again, that's less than two years from now. They're going to open their on-campus stadium, which they don't currently actually have plans for. That opens in the fall of 2024. And then in the fall of 2025, they play their first ACC conference game. So. I will get a USF tattoo anywhere on my body if even one part of that happens like that is just ridiculous um oh can i say <laughs> another thing is the reply the first reply i see is our friend james reed who posts it's uh it just says i'll show it to you you probably can go see it if you look at the tweet but it says delusional and the u is the usf logo and it's i don't know if you can that's see good this. i've seen him reply to people with that before yeah it's that's pretty it's sweet just, it's really i have good. to say another quick usf thing before we get off i know we're running really long but this is too okay. good to not bring up i want to give a shout out to all the ucf fans that bullied the actual usf athletics administration into pressure washing their athletic sign 
This that's after a real like, thing that happened after a tweet that I'm 100 percent certain was staged. Was because, so staged where well, USF was fan like, was like, "Look, someone UCF, left UCF gear. You someone left UCF gear in front of our whatever this was like practice field and then peed on it." And I was like, "Why would a UCF fan first one? Why, why would they leave the, the shirt on the ground there, like crumpled up?" And then why would another UCF fan or the same UCF fan pee on the UCF shirt they just left? Literally there? made no sense. But of course, everyone posts this and there's the USF Athletics. I forget what the sign was in the background, like their big yeah. welcome, like brick sign. And yeah. it's so dirty. It's just like covered in mildew and stains. Yeah. It looks like the it looks like the transfer portal from those Dr. Pepper commercials. Like it was just horrible. <laughs> and we're, and within a day, there are photos of guys out there pressure washing it. Like UCF is out here literally running the usf athletics department so i think someone like replied to that was like literally proof that cyberbullying can work sometimes <laughs> something like that i was like oh my gosh for the record don't cyberbully anyone please yeah um please don't. unless it's unless it's usf into like if they need to get something cleaned like that doesn't unless really it's qualify that doesn't really qualify as like unless it's very specifically cincinnati fans around like seven o'clock on friday <laughs> um you i know, mean that's don't. That's up to you. you All right. We're very long. We should, seriously, don't stop really guys. It's bad. But anyway, we should, uh, we should, we should end the podcast because it's been a while. Yeah. Like this is the last one. Like I said, you read that poem. It's over. So this is our last podcast. So thanks, thanks for, thanks for sticking for around guys. <laughs> Thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week uh, with episode 54. Lord willing after that poem. <laughs> um, until then you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams, 22 at by CA Simmons and at night sports. Now, once again, thank you guys so much for being with us and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.